and welcome to Reliving My Youth. My name is Noel Fogelman. My guest today is Ronnie Cox. Now, Ronnie, you got to start. The very first movie was Deliverance, portraying Drew. We talk about that legendary movie and his iconic dueling banjo scene. Speaking of iconic, he played the legendary Dick Jones in Robocop, not to mention Cohagen in Total Recall, but he was a good guy in some movies as well. First two Beverly Hills Cop movies, and he gives me an update about Beverly Hills Cop 4. And he was one of the very few people in Star Trek history to play Captain of the Enterprise in a couple episodes of Star Trek The Next Generation. We talk about that, talk about Cop Rock, but many people don't realize that Ronnie is a, an accomplished singer-songwriter, a very big into folk music, so we talk about that as well. Ronnie, very nice guy, and he's one of my favorites, so enjoy this episode. So Ronnie, uh, I discovered your music, I'd say, a couple months ago, and I really enjoy it, so it's, you know, I'm, I'm so glad I did, but let me ask you a question. How do, you, do you think that your music has helped your Film career or vice versa? Vice versa. Okay. Because <laughs> <laughs> my music was was completely under the radar. See, I didn't get back into my music. Uh, I mean, the music has been. I, I've I've been a musician and an actor as long as I. I mean, I, I was playing music. I had a rock and roll band when I was in high school, and I was I was actually cutting records when I was in high school. Although it was pretty. Uh, I don't know if you know this or not, but uh, I grew up in a little town called Fortalis, New Mexico. Right. Uh, and 19 miles north of that is Clovis, New Mexico. And in, in the late 50s and early 60s, Clovis, New Mexico was a, a hotbed of recording. I was actually around when Buddy Holly cut Peggy Sue. Oh, wow. Yeah. At the, at, so Buddy Holly was cutting over there, Jimmy Boyle and Buddy Knox. I don't know if you remember the Fireballs. And, okay. And, 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 and uh, there were a whole bunch of bands, Charlie Phillips uh, cutting, and, and Norman Petty, who the Norman Petty Studios were there. And he saw a singing group I was with when I was in high school and hired us to sing backup on, on records for a girl out of Lubbock named Hope Griffith. And so, uh, so I, I was cutting records when I was in high school. And then I had a, I had a rock and roll band back in those days. About the three of us in the band were brothers. Uh, uh, get ready for this. this is one of the great rock and roll band names of all time. Runs Rock Out. <laughs> <laughs> so, so we were sort of the, the, the local boys around there. So I was playing music and, and doing all that stuff all the way through college. But, all, but I was a theater major in oh. college. And then when I when I graduated from college and started working, we went back east first, and I was working at Arena Stage. But while I was at Arena Stage, I was singing folk songs in clubs and things like that around, around. And and uh, I got my first film, uh, uh, Deliverance, because I could play. I mean, the, the fact that I had the the, the, the I was at home with the guitar in my hand, made a, a big difference. And early in my career, everybody, like my second big film, was a film called Bound for Glory, the, the Woody Guthrie. Right. And, and I picked and sang in that. And in my first television series, Apple's Way, I used to pick and sing a song on that every week. So early in my career, everybody knew that I was this actor from New Mexico that also played music, but typical of Hollywood, uh, 
then I started doing, I started playing all these guys, uh, mainly men of authority right, uh, yes. in suits and ties. And, 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 and so then pretty soon they, they, they were thinking of me as more as a presidential or head of the CIA or the National Guard yeah. or, or something, or the dictator of Mars, exactly. <laughs> or the head of OCP. Uh, and, and so, and, and there was a period of time there where I was <laughs> literally in every movie made, uh, uh, therefore, and so then people forgot about that part. And so then when I got, went, decided to get back into music and people saw me with a guitar in my hand, it, it was like mind-boggling for them. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I mean, it's like, you know, a typical actor when you go on an audition and they say, can you write a horse or, you know, sing a song? And they usually say yes, they usually lie and they got to go learn it. You actually were able to do it. So that made it, it, made it easier for everyone involved. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, so I mean, like, it's got to be you know, amazing that your first movie was such a, like, smash hit, like Deliverance. And Well, yeah, not only my first movie, my first time in front of a camera. And most people don't realize it's Ned Beatty's first film, too. Wow. And, you know, you, you got to work with, with Ned again in Captain America, which we'll get to in, in well, a second. Ned and I, Ned and I had, that we were cast totally independently of each other in okay. Deliverance. They right. didn't know we knew each other. We had already done 20 plays together. Oh, wow, okay. So so Ned has been my best friend since 1963. Oh, okay, that's great. And yeah. and so we we've done a lot of things, not just Captain America. We did right. we did the, the Hallmark, uh, I mean the, the the Peabody Award-winning production of Our Town together with okay. Al Holbrook and right. and and Ned and I've done several things together. Yeah, no, he's he's a phenomenal actor. As, he, as well. He's one of the best in the business, as far right. as I'm concerned. Right. So when you actually got the you know the role of Drew in Deliverance and you read the script, had you read the novel prior? Yes. Okay, so you... Yeah, I, I don't know if I did. You know, I was actually the first actor they saw in New York. Okay. Uh, they, well, originally John Borman, he wanted to do the film with as many unknown actors right. as possible because, and the reason for that was he did, he... he he didn't want any character to be safe. And by that, I mean, especially back in those days, if, if, if some big star was in a movie where somebody was going to die, you didn't worry about that big star. Of course, yeah. Because you were pretty sure, although when, when Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid came along, they changed that paradigm yes. forever. That's right. But, but at that time, so, so John Borman wanted all the characters to be at risk and plus one of john's biggest i've seen the interviews with him where he's talked about that one of his biggest thrills was was being able to take these two stage actors and we had ned and 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 put that he put us in that film so so they came to new york looking for good unknown actors and god knows i was unknown <laughs> and 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 i was the reason I was the first actor they saw is they were going to start seeing people at, at say, 10 o'clock on a Monday morning. They asked me to come in at 9 o'clock just to see, for a pre-screening, just okay. to see if I was worth seeing. Right. They, they, had, they had checked with Joe Papp, and, and, and he had recommended these. They said, who should we see in New York? And they, he said, you should see this young guy. And... And so I, I met with Lynn Stallmaster. He gave me a copy of the script, but I'd already read the novel. 
and he asked me to go away to a coffee shop or something, come back in an hour, and and I did, and I went and looked through the script, but I already, and I came back and met with John Borman, and we hit it off, and then I, they called me back a couple, three times during that week, and uh, and eventually they 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 flew about fifteen or sixteen of us out here to California, and tested us for those four roles, uh, screen tests. And I was the only one out of that group that they liked. Okay. And then, and then a couple of weeks later, they found Ned. Uh, and and this is probably the first time in the history of film uh, that, that they found the two guys below the title before they found the two guys above the title, because Ned and I, they found us, and Ned and I waited around another three, four, five weeks while they were deciding on on John Boyd and, and Burt Reynolds. Where you just generally never happens, you right? Yeah. Were, were you were you kind of surprised of, of the casting of John and Bert? No, right. <laughs> I, I mean, I, I, how, how can I be surprised by that? I knew nothing. I, this is this, this is I was so, such a novice in this. I, you, you, there, there was nothing surprising. I mean, right. Everything about that film was surprising right. to me because because. First of all, you know, no film has ever been done like, like that before or since, as far as I know. We shot that film in sequence, and we did all the canoeing ourselves. Wow. How, how, how long is another it? reason why John Borman wanted younger guys, because, right. you know, in the, in, in, the, in the novel, the guys are all like 40. He wanted guys in their early 30s, and, and not for the reason that most people would think, that, that you know, just to make it sexier. No, he, he thought the most interesting guys in America at that time were guys in their early 30s. And because of that, they 40-year-olds, that was part of the establishment. But younger than that were, were the hippie. These hmm. guys were, that were caught in the middle. Right. And, and, and their angst was what he wanted to explore. How, how long did you guys train to, to learn how to canoe? We, we had two weeks of canoe practice and rehearsals before we started. And one of the reasons we shot it in sequence was since we were doing all the canoeing ourselves in the film, as you, the easy rapids are at the beginning. The rapids get yes. harder and harder and harder and harder. So by the time we got to the really, really hard rapids, We've been on the water six, eight, ten hours a day for five, six, eight weeks. Wow. So we were, and all of us are pretty good natural athletes, so so we were pretty damn good canoeists by then. And, by the way, as an aside, the, the best canoeist of us all was Ned. <laughs> <laughs> the one that was supposed to be the, he had at least been in the canoe before. Right. But I have to tell you the truth. I mean, John Voigt and I, we wrecked a lot because, first of all, <laughs> Well, we were in that wooden Old Town canoe. Okay, which right. is a canoe that's not intended for white water. Uh, the, 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 the canoe that the Bird and, and Ned were in is a, an aluminum canoe, so it's much shallower draft. It has a, a much wider, it rides over the rapids easier, and, and, and it's much more suited to white water. The, 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 the wooden Old Town is, an, is a lake canoe, and it's not intended. So we used to run rapids, and if 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 Ned and Bert had any problems at all, the crew would make huge bets that John Voigt and I would wreck. 
<laughs> and we did. We we wrecked a lot. I don't know if you remember in the film, you know, they find the canoe broken in half yes. toward the end of the film. Right, yeah. Yeah, they didn't have to do that. We did that for them. <laughs> right. So you, you helped them out a bit there. <laughs> <laughs> we did indeed. Yeah. So, uh, you know, obviously Ned's, you know, iconic scene. What was his reaction when he read the script? He's an actor. Oh, yeah. <laughs> True, yeah. <laughs> I, I, I mean, I, I mean, a lot of people have way more problem with that than Ned. And if you go back and look at that, that's some of the most brilliant acting and some of the most brilliant. Because this is in the days before steady camps, right? Uh, the way John Borman choreographed that scene with him and and Bill McKinney, that that's brilliant acting as far as I'm concerned. Uh, I, uh, I mean. We were all not, you know, the, the, the Deliverance was nominated for Academy Award that year, but we weren't going to win because that was the year of the, the Godfather. Godfather. Yeah, yeah. But, but Ned deserved to win, as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, no, he, he was fantastic. You know, the, the, the whole cast was, and you know, your, your iconic scene, the, you know, the dueling banjos with uh with, with Billy Redden was was fantastic as well. Did was your performance was that? Taken you know, from the movie? Did they dub it or anything like that? What do you mean? Your, your, the the uh, ban, you know his banjo playing, your guitar playing. That was that was your playing, right? They didn't like dub it. Yes and no. Okay. Here's here's the story about that. Billy can't play. Doesn't know anything about okay. banjo. Right. Uh, that's not even his left hand. Okay. <laughs> uh, and now I was hired because I play the guitar, and 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 John Borman wanted me to play the guitar uh, on the piece because uh, you got to realize too John Borman wasn't tr- thinking about trying to make a hit song a hit record uh, he, he loved the idea that this Sabat kid was showing up this totally amateur guitar player so, so if I was less than a good really good guitar player that wouldn't have bothered John or it wouldn't have bothered the movie either but since Billy couldn't play and and we were going to have to pre-record the song it would meant what I had I would have to go to Atlanta and, and pre-record the song and, and I would miss a day of canoe practice and the day of rehearsals uh, which were vital for this and it's my first film and since I was going to have to match playback anyway, then they, the, Eric Weisberg and Steve Mandel uh, did the scene, uh, played the music. Now, John Borman wanted to be able to cut to somebody's fingers playing the right notes. Because, see, we didn't even, that's not even Billy's left hand. Right. on the film. That, that's, a, that's another little kid behind him with a wardrobe shirt that's sort of doing some fingering up there. We don't even have real strings on the banjo. He's just doing some fake fingering, so he's not playing the right notes. Now, John Borman wanted to be able to cut to someone playing the right notes. So Steve Mandel taught me the piece note for note, and I had an agreement with John that if, that if I missed a note, I'd say, don't use that take, because I, uh, so if you, if you go back and look at the, at the film, I'm playing every note there, so I, so did I play it? Yes. Is that me on the, on the screen, in, in, on the soundtrack? No. Did it cost me about a million dollars? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, and you wrote a fantastic book about, uh, 
doing banjos. So uh, everyone, you know, read it, uh, Deliverance of Drew. So check it out. Uh, so, uh, some other iconic roles. I just recently watched Robocop and, you know, Dick Jones. I mean, personally, I haven't seen the sequels because the first one I think is perfect. So I, 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 yeah, I don't, I, they, they wanted me to be in the sequel and, and some of the others, but I hate sequels. I, to me, this is a bad joke, but I'll tell it anyway. <laughs> me, sequels are like putting on a wet bathing suit. Uh, <laughs> you know, uh, but there is a, sh- a show coming out now called RoboDoc. Okay. That you, that you need to check out. It's long, but, but it is the, I, it, it, you know, because RoboCop has become such a, 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 a cult, almost a cult film these days. Right. Uh, that, that, and so many guys in their early 30s or, or so, I mean, this is their seminal film. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, uh, so those guys in England, I think in England, these guys, they, they literally got everybody who worked on RoboCop from Paul Verhoeven to Peter Weller Lee. They got us all. And the film, and they did the absolute definitive documentary on the making of RoboCop. Oh, great. I'll have to check it out. Is it, is it out yeah, now? It, it is. It is fantastic. Oh, great. I look forward to it. Uh, obviously, they made you know, two more sequels, I think, uh, and a remake, but, um, yeah, it's the, the original. I mean, it's just, it's, it's absolutely classic. Uh, now another one, uh, I don't know if any people really know this movie, but I love it. And you had a very small part. I think it was only the DVD was Amazon women in the moon. <laughs> I haven't seen it in years. Yeah. I mean, I, it's such a, it's such a great movie and it's just like, if everyone doesn't know about it, it's like these maybe twenty. That, that was the first time I played the president. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you've, yeah, you went on playing so many times. Yeah, uh, like Arsenio starts off the movie. It's great, and it's a great cast. Uh, but it's uh, such a cult classic, and it's like pretty much forgotten. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes, <laughs> happily so for R- most people. <laughs> yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah, but uh, yeah, all, all the presidents. Obviously, you played President Kimball and. Um, Captain America and you know superheroes are huge right now, and, and that that movie kind of had a uh, strange journey. Yeah, and I played the president in the Murder of Sixteen Hundred. Right. Yep. I ended up playing the president on Stargate. Yes. <laughs> so I, I, I and I played the pre- I, I did a production of Camping with Henry and Tom the the play. I did with Robert Prosky and, and where I played Warren Harding and that I don't know if you know that play. No. It's based on a true. It's based on a true thing. It in I, I was, was early in in Harding's administration. He went on a camping trip with Thomas Edison and Henry Ford. Wow. Yeah. And it's based on the, the conversations of those three guys. It's, it's, it's an interesting play. Oh, cool. That's, uh, yeah, that sounded interesting. Yeah. Yeah. So, like, when, when uh, Total Recall came out, or it was they were, you know, starting production and Paul Verhoeven Ber- directed that and Robot- Robocop, did you have to audition for that? Or he said, this is who I want for Cohagen? Uh, well, by that time, I had already done Robocop. Yes. And and so yeah no Paul pretty much I I I went in and met with him uh, but but no he was pretty much wanted me for 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 Cohagen from the beginning 
Right. Yeah, and that that movie was absolutely fantastic. I still think it's probably one of Schwarzenegger's best ones. Well, and I don't know if you know, you know, that film, uh, that, at that time, when did we, we made it in 88, I think, or 89, somewhere along Yeah, it there. came out in 90, yeah, so probably around yeah. there. Yeah. Uh, at that time, it was the most expensive film in the history of film. I mean, a couple of years later, they did the Titanic. But right. in 1988 or 89, when we made it, that, that was a $100 million film yeah. that, that we did. And that film had been in, it had been in, I like playing 
characters as far away from me as I can go. I, I have no desire to play a version of myself. Uh, and, and another reason why I like playing the bad guys yeah. is because the bad guys in movies especially are always more interesting. I mean, the good guys, uh, sometimes they sort of take a couple of wrong steps, but they nearly always make the right decision. They all, you, could, you can pretty much d uh, predict how they're going to react to certain stuff, whereas the, the most fascinating characters are always, always the bad guys, and yeah. they're the guys I like to play. Yeah, and like one role, like, you weren't the bad guy, but you weren't liked was uh, Captain Jellicoe in Star Trek. You know, you, you... <laughs> I love playing Jellico. <laughs> Although people are coming around to that, they're really realizing how he saved that show for them. I mean, first of all, he made Troy put on a uniform for God's sake. I know, right? Come on. <laughs> and I'll tell you something else that, that, that most people don't realize: uh, they they got to do because see, uh, the, the, the writers, the original writers of, of Star Trek, they, they didn't like internal conflict. Right. And, and and so by having Jellico, they could do that for the first time. And and I'm, I'm also a trivia answer. I'm also one of the few actors who who's done an, an actual captain's log. That's true. On, yeah. on that. But the, another perk, I, I don't know if you know this or not, but Patrick Stewart always hated those fish in the ready room. <laughs> right. I heard that, yeah. I mean, I mean, he really, really hated those fish in the ready room. But, and, and, and his point was, and it's well taken, his point was, look, we're doing a series that's based on, on, on the, 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 uh, uh, all species in the universe having work, and we've got captive entities swimming around in, in the ready room. And, and so he, from the get-go, he wanted them to get rid of those fish. But, but the, the production people, they love being able to shoot through there and, and have interesting shots. Right. So, so they didn't want to get... So when Jellico came up on the show, <laughs> they took those fish out as, as, a, as, as a perk for Patrick. <laughs> While he wasn't there. <laughs> oh, no, Patrick came in and they said, oh, yay, yay. So that was another thing that was kind of, I, I, I'm almost embarrassed to talk about this, but, you know, Patrick's sort of big breakthrough was Excalibur. Right. That he did with John Borman. And and because of that, uh, Deliverance was, was one of Patrick's absolute favorite films. So when I came on to do Captain Jellicoe, <laughs> Patrick Stewart was running around saying, I'm working with Ronnie Cox. I'm I mean, he's a big star running around. It was a little embarrassing for me, for, for Patrick Stewart to be going around crawling about working with me. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that, uh, that's amazing. And now they're working on another, you know, Star Trek show with, with Patrick Stewart. So maybe, yeah. uh, maybe you know, Captain Jellicoe can make a return somehow. I don't think so. No, probably not. <laughs> probably not. Yeah. How often do you get asked about Cop Rock? A, a, a lot. Okay. Uh, especially from people from England. You know, in England, they think this is a, maybe America's finest, and it was 20 years ahead of its time. And I'll tell you the truth. It's what got me back into music. Okay. When we 
when we did cop rock, uh, and, and it failed on a lot of levels, but it's the only show I've ever been involved with. And, and I've talked to people, all the other people who were involved in that show, it's their favorite show ever to have worked on. It, it's the only time, there were 13 of us that were regulars on that, and it's the only time in my career where I went to work every day whether I was called or not. Just, just to see what was going on. And some days it failed miserably because right. we were pushing. The, you know, it, it was a forerunner of Glee and all those yes. shows. And, and when, when Cop Rock closed, I realized how much I missed the music because I had put music on a back burner for uh, a lot of years, for, you know, 10 or 15 years that, that, that I had just not done anything musically. And, and so I turned down all work for a couple of years and, and didn't know where the folk music community was. So I, I, I didn't work, know where else to go. So I went to Nashville and managed to get a record deal there. And, and, uh, and then it took me another oh, three or four years uh, after that to, to find the folk music community. And, and then I made a decision uh, for, for, for several years after that, that was in the mid-90s, for several years after that, I sort of split time between doing music and, and movies and, and television shows. But, but in, in the early 2000s, uh, I made a decision to put, I mean, I love acting, don't get me right. wrong. I, 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 I absolutely love acting, and I'm good at it. But I don't love it quite as much as the music, and I can tell you why. With music, uh, with acting, there is and must be that imaginary fourth wall between you and the audience. You can't step through the lens and talk to the audience. And with the kind of show I do, because I'm also a storyteller, as okay. I'm sure you can tell. Yes. Because <laughs> <laughs> uh, half of my show are stories. I, my, I have a story that sets up every song. Okay, that's good. And it's so, so in my, I call it, I call my show Song Stories and Out and Out Lies. <laughs> uh, uh, but, but I, I, I thrive on, on a, an interpersonal relationship with the audience. I, with my show, I, I don't let my agents book me into shows that have more than 500 people because I don't, I don't want to play great. I, I, my show requires a certain intimacy. And so even if it's a crowd of four or 500 people, as soon as they open, I will have had a conversation with everybody in the audience before the show starts. Wow. And so, and, and then, so the, my show starts, and I, and I, I also ask the, the, the promoters, whoever, to leave the house lights up a little so I can see. I want to be able to look out and see the audience and communicate with them. And, and so I... My show is, is more of a shared experience, and and that, I'm not trying to brag too much here, yeah. but but I, not that I'm the greatest singer or songwriter in the world, but I've had people that, one of the things that they love about my show is they're moved in a way that they didn't expect to be moved. And to me, that's the height of, and, and to me, that's an opiate that's, that's undeniable, and that's what brings me back to doing this. So, and, and, uh, now, obviously, 
And also, I, I, I'm going to say a joke now. I mm. found out there's way more money in folk music than there is in acting. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm sure. Because <laughs> <laughs> yeah. sometimes I play, there's a, there's a phenomenon called house concerts. So I, yes. Sometimes I play concerts that only have 40 people in them. Right, yeah, I know, I know a, lot of, a lot of artists do that. Yeah, I've spoken yeah. to you know, quite a few. And, and, and I love those shows. Yeah. I love those shows. I, I, I just got back from uh, this last weekend. The reason I was out of town, I, I did, uh, I did the, those, those kind of concerts. It, it, and the, the, the biggest talent, the biggest, I, we, I did two shows that had less than 50 people, and then one show only had like a, maybe 120 or something like that of uh, people. And, and they were great fun to do. And, and I love that, that connection. That, that 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 you can have, and and I'm I'm lucky. I've, I've I've had a really good career, and I'm not rich, but I have enough money that I get to pick and choose what I want to do. And so I made a decision years ago that I won't let any movie or television show uh, interfere with with a music gig that I already have booked. Okay. I mean, I'll I'll do I'll go do them, and and uh, as proof of that, I I can tell you. I don't know if you'll want to use this, but I'll just tell it to you anyway. Uh, do you ever see the film with Kevin Costner called Draft Day? Oh yeah, oh yes. Well, I, I can tell you a story about that. Uh, uh, when they were when they were casting, you know, Ivan Reitman uh, directed that film, right? And and when they were casting that, they wanted me to put to, for a role in it, uh, not a huge role, but an important role. They wanted me to play uh, the owner of the team. Okay. And uh, so as I always do, I I checked that I found out what their dates were, and and their dates were because because that character only worked about I think eight or ten days on the film. Is all, all that character had to work, and and so I checked with the dates, and, and I had uh, I had a full week on this side and a full week on that side, so I went in there with with Ivan, and he and I hit it off. And long story short, they offered me the job, I accepted, and and signed the contract. I even had wardrobe fitting. I'm kind of I'm hard to fit because I've, I've got long arms, so they had to custom make my shirts and and suits and stuff like that. And so I, I went through that whole process. And then about a month or six weeks before we were supposed to, they called me up and they said, Ronnie, we've had to change our dates. And I said, to what? And they told me, and, and that was the very night that I was supposed to be on the main stage at the Kerrville Folk Festival, uh, which to me is the mother church of folk music. Right. So I said, I said to them, I said, I can't do it. And and now try explaining that to Hollywood. Of course, yeah, that's not going to work. <laughs> yeah, you did. <laughs> but but so, I did get one really good line out of it though. Finally, because they were so exasperated. Finally, the the the, the, the they, they called me up and they said, "Well, how much are they paying you for that damn folk music gig?" <laughs> and I said, "I think I've got more money in my pocket." <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah, I, I think they got what Franklin Jella to to replace Franklin you. Franklin Jella. Yeah. So, Yeah, they did get Frank Joe. so they had to pay him. But they, I made them pay me too. Oh, smart! There you go. <laughs> what? 
They changed the date. I did. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And so, so. Smart. Yeah, that's absolutely smart. But yeah, I, hopefully I can see one of your shows, you know, down the road. Hopefully when you come to, to Long Island in May. But one more question. Well, uh, we're going we're, we're, we're gonna, to we're, we're gonna, we're gonna film that the show I do in Nashville. Oh, cool. Okay. Yeah, that, that, that'd be great to see as well. Yeah. But now uh, you mentioned sequels and stuff like that. Um, they announced Beverly Hills Cop 4. That's that's, that's going to be in production. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, 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 the zero chance. Okay. Going to get me for that. Yeah. I, I, I mean, when I was do, when I did uh, uh, imagine that right. uh, with Eddie. Yeah. That, that same producer had the rights to Beverly Hills Cop. Ask us then. Okay. If, and Eddie said, and I told him then. See, I didn't want to do Cop Two, but I did it because. Bogomil getting shot was the reason for yeah. Eddie's character coming back. Of course, yeah. They wanted me in Cop 3. I read the script and said no. <laughs> Smart. And, 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 and they've got no chance of getting me in Cop 4. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah, no, because, uh, yeah, the first one, one of the funniest movies of all time, and that's just a classic movie, and, you know, your role was great, and Eddie, the whole, the whole cast was great in that movie, and the quality went down after each one. <laughs> yes. Yeah, but Ronnie, thank you for a few minutes today. I really appreciate it, and I hope to see one of your shows soon. Everyone check out Ronnie's music. It's on Spotify, RonnieCox.com, and uh, thank you so much. Thank you. And a special thanks to Ronnie for joining me today. Go check out his website, RonnieCox.com, and if you want to listen to any of his music, it's streaming on Spotify, and if you have a guest suggestion, Hit me up on Twitter at the first Noel 19 or like the page Living My Youth on Facebook. You can go to iTunes and check out all the past episodes we've had. While you're there, please rate and review the show. I'd appreciate it. If you don't have iTunes, it's not a problem. Go to SoundCloud, go to Podbean, listen to the show there. And if you want any merchandise, it's all great stuff. It's on Threadless, so you go to livingmyyouth.threadless.com. T-shirts, phone cases, hoodies, whatever, it's there. A new episode comes out every Wednesday, and we'll see you next week.